0: Good morning. Well, I want to tell you, I am going to preach to you from my goat skin covered ESV. You guys do not know what you're missing. If you can't preach a great message from a goat skin covered ESV, I don't know. It is a, uh, just a delight to be together with this incredible family, this army, this bride, and uh, it's, it's appropriate for me to be able to talk to you on this theme after hearing from these intrepid, sacrificial brothers and sisters who are just giving their all uh, to see the Great Commission fulfilled by planting and strengthening healthy churches. And um, so this message is not a grumpy old guy, 50-year-old, telling the next generation to suck it up, buttercup, Um, This is not that. Uh, I want to talk to you about managing the tension between self-care and self-denial. And it's something that I and uh, my wife and our team are wrestling through. Um, And every time I talk to any church leader, he's like, man, you're hitting the spot. I'm asking the same questions. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do believe we have important questions to ask. And... Uh, I say this as one of the two guys in the movement that have been given the real privilege of heading up the well being Fund and uh, helping to resource, helping to open conversations like we had so wonderfully. It was short but sweet, but that's a tease that we're going to carry on having conversations about what it is to be healthy. But how do we not get into what Martin Luther talked about where history, particularly church history, is like a drunk man who falls off one side of the horse into a ditch, climbs up, gets on the horse, and falls off on the other side into a ditch. How do we not, as we look at this real importance of self-care, how do we not get into self-protection? How do we not get into self-absorption? Wisdom... In many ways is learning to hold healthy tensions Uh, Andy Stanley and even mentioning that name gives me some tension Uh, but in his book deep and wide let's give credit where credit is due said most situations in church are not problems to solve they are tensions to manage and and obviously some truths are not truth intention Jesus is Lord is not a truth intention Christ is risen from the dead is not a truth intention. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith alone is not a truth intention. That the word of God, whether it's wrapped in calfskin or not, is inspired, God breathed, is not a truth intention. It's a truth. So there are some biblical truths that are not truth intention, but many are. And so it requires wisdom, it requires discernment. There's not a recipe for it. It requires some balance and I love that idea of the drunk guy falling off the horse because to stay on a horse requires tension, requires that we clench, put up our backs straight. I'm not going to show you. (laughs) I'm not a horse rider. But you know, if we are not willing to hold tension in our lives and our truths, What tends to happen is that our churches remain really small because like a tent, a small tent doesn't need huge tension to hold it up, but it's super claustrophobic, and the people in there just kind of all think the same. But as our churches grow, as our mission grows, we have to have strong stakes and strong tent lines, cords, as Isaiah 54 says, to make room for people of different persuasions and different conviction, does your church have room? If it doesn't, it's going to be cozy but claustrophobic. And some of the truths, intention that we have to hold in terms of wisdom or grace and truth, or word and spirit, structure and flexibility, community and mission, the charismatic and the evangelistic, reverence and celebration, the now and the not yet. I might have just given you your next sermon series. And these things, there's not a recipe for it. You've heard of that little cliche that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put a tomato in a fruit salad. Right? We, we, we know that. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And so the whole tensions requires great wisdom. And so what is it to hold the tension of self-care and self-denial? I was thinking back to about 10 years ago when Many of us were reading a lot about the missional church. Many of us were doing Porterbrook, which is a great course. We were kind of baptized into the Soma world. We were starting gyms in our churches and Beer and Bonhoeffer book clubs. It was all about the mission. I remember during this time going down to a church in San Diego. Uh, some of the pastors are there today. And they had got on this thing we needed to look after the homeless community in our city. It was an amazing sense of mission. Every leader I bumped into had a homeless person living in their spare room. Young kids, young marriages, and I was just so impressed. And you're going, I wonder how long this is la- going to last. And, and tragically, about three years later, the church closed down because there wasn't wisdom in that. Was there sacrifice? Absolutely. They didn't have boundaries, and they didn't know how to take care of themselves on the mission. Ten years later, we're all reading the Desert Fathers. We're talking about the contemplative church, or you might say contemplative. We are reading the Benedictine option and the ruthless elimination of hurry. We're reading the emotional healthy leader, and maybe you're reading Psalms for a Saturated Soul. (laughs) I want to tell you I'm not going to sell books in this particular message but I think and I get it it's because we woke up to the need for self-care we woke, woke up to the reality of our own limits our own humanity and it was necessary we woke up to The fact that Jesus' great declaration, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul, was not just about heathen businessmen. It could have also been about pastors on mission. What does it profit us if we gain the whole world yet forfeit our souls? And so in this pendulum swing, swaying on and off the horse, What does it mean to hold this tension of not forfeiting our soul, but actually obeying Jesus' great commission, of joining Jesus in his great inheritance in all the nations? Now, first pastor, Terry Fouché, said to me 26 years ago, Alan, God is more interested in your wholeness than your ministry. And to my shame... I didn't take that wisdom seriously for 20 years. God is more interested in your wholeness than your ministry. And so six years ago, in my first sabbatical, after finishing a nine-year master's, after, by God's grace, finishing a jubilee campaign, which was financial, after a planting campaign that was initially three in three, three plants in three years, that turned into four in four. We limped into our sabbatical and I met a man called Bill. And Bill became my spiritual director and he still is today. And I want to say that besides Jesus and my wife, if it wasn't for Bill, I don't think I'd be in ministry today. Bill's gift of empathy has been amazing. He's wise, he's qualified, he's articulate. First time I was with him, began to pour out my soul, waiting for some kind of guru answer and there was this long, awkward silence and I'm just thinking, I'm paying a lot of money for this and you better have something better than that to say. And honestly, after what felt like about a minute of just silence, awkward silence, Bill just starts to tear up and says, I'm feeling your pain. He's a wise guy, but the gift of empathy and the gift of prayer, I still go to him once a month and I always wait for him to say, let's pray. Sometimes he'll pray for me for 10 minutes and it feels like the paralytic man who was let through the roof by his friends to the feet of Jesus. Self-care is a beautiful thing. And some of us still feel like aluminum in the microwave. you fried and you sparking, you melting. We've got to take this so seriously. But there was a moment when Bill and I went toe to toe. It was about three years ago. And part of Bill's gift to me has been, Alan, you need to take care of yourself. You need to rest, you need to Sabbath, you need solitude. It's it's a real gift, because I'm not great at doing that. You need quality time with your wife, you need to get out of Dodge, you need to trust God with your church. And there was a moment when he was doing his shtick with me, and I found something rising up in me, and I said, Bill, I'm kind of tired of you saying that. Because he said, I said, as a pastor, I keep on having people in my church saying, well, my counselor says I've got to love myself before I can love other people. And that normally means that they have unbendable boundaries and they become self-absorbed and they no longer serve and every second week they're out of town taking care of themselves. I just said, Bill, what do we do with this? And there was another awkward silence. (laughs) And he responded in real wisdom. He said, Alan, I can see how immature people can abuse that kind of counsel. But you're not that kind of person. He said, you're overly responsible. And if you don't care for yourself, there will be nothing left of yourself to deny. It's good wisdom. How do we hold intention... These two great commands, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will provide rest for your souls. Jesus cares about the rest of our souls. With the other command, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. These are tensions to manage, not problems to solve, amen? And so what we first need to do is we need to push back I think gently but firmly against what John Stott calls the third commandment thinking and as I began to wrestle with this tension I found him so helpful in an article John Stott called a theology of self affirmation and self denial And he said this, Unfortunately, many Christians seem to have allowed themselves to be sucked into the self-esteem movement under the false impression that the Mosaic command endorsed by Jesus in Matthew 22, that we love our neighbor as ourselves is a command to love ourselves as well as our neighbor. But it really is not. You ever heard people say that? So he gives three good theological arguments against this Matthew 22, 39 misnomer firstly he says it's not Jesus' third great commandment to love yourself he says the first commandment is to love the Lord your God the second to love your neighbor and those are the two He says the addition of as yourself supplies a rough and ready practical guide to neighbor love. In this respect, it's like the golden rule to do to others what you would have them do to you, Matthew 7. So he says even if we struggle with self-image, we do actually take care of ourselves. And so he's saying treat others as you would like to be treated. So in other words, Jesus is saying self-love is a fact to be recognized, not a virtue to be commanded. Secondly, he said the concept of sacrificing ourselves in order to serve ourselves is nonsensical. The verb here, Greek verb, is agapao, and we know agape, gape, love, means self-sacrifice. So to say, well, I need to love myself before I sacrifice myself is nonsensical he says the very nature of loving others is self sacrificial and third reason he pushes back against this idea of the third commandment to love yourself is he says that self love is the biblical understanding of sin apostle Paul to Timothy says one of the marks of the last days is that people will be lovers of self instead of lovers of God Remember how Luther said, the example of sin is homo incurvatus, a person curved in on themselves. That's what we naturally do, we curve in on ourselves. And so their love will be misdirected from God and neighbor to self. And essentially, Stott lands with saying, let's put this silliness to bed. And, and, and so the, I'm going to get practical, but we just have to settle a theological issue that most of us are being fed at the moment. He says, how, how do we regard ourselves? How are we to avoid the extremes of self-hatred and self-love? He says, the cross of Christ supplies the answer, for it calls us both to self-denial and self-affirmation. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's start. So practically, how do we get into self-care without the self-absorbed kind of sinful self-love? I would submit to you that we need to see self-care not as necessarily taking a bubble bath with a book. But self-care, biblical self-care, aims at fruitful union with Christ. Remember Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear fruit, fruit that lasts, John 15. And so self-care is learning to abide in Christ in meaningful ways. It's saying, Jesus, I wanna do what it takes to have my union with you healed. And that looks different for different people. But it's not aiming at a life of leisure and pleasure. It's actually aiming at a life of fruitful union with Christ. Robert Mulholland says, We are being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And this tension is beautifully held together in the life of Jesus, of course. The one who makes a command and then lives it out perfectly. And I just want to take a moment to look at Mark 6. It's actually the same text that uh, Sam Aubrey used on, on Monday night, but most of you were not there. But there's this moment in Mark 6 where Jesus hears of his cousin, John the Baptist, being beheaded by Herod. There is grief. This is his cousin. This is the man that prophesied. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. The one who paved the way before him has now been beheaded. What grief. And so in verse 30, it says The apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. That's beautiful self-care, isn't it? Jesus realized his disciples had limits. Jesus, fully God yet fully man, knew he had limits. And he was pushing up against the limits of his grace, his his compassion. He was grieving. He was hungry. He was helter-skelter. He hadn't even had time to have a leisurely meal with his disciples. And so he says, come away. Come away in a boat. Come away with me. Come away to a desolate place. Disciples, we're redlining on reserve. Let's fill our tanks. Jesus gives us permission to get out of Dodge and fill our tanks. Isn't that good news? And some of us need to hear that. Some of us are not good at self-care. The, the signs of poor self-care are when we boast about busyness. You ever find yourself doing that? I do that. It's a terrible pastor's trait. It's a form of pride, emotional numbness, mental fogginess, the masking of pain with sugar, media, alcohol, tobacco, or spending. The desire to stay in bed longer than usual, a refusal to rest on your day off; an inability to say no and set healthy boundaries. These are all examples of poor self-care. a reluctance to exercise, neglecting grooming, a lack of romance or emotional connection with your spouse. Excessive daydreaming about your vacation. Anyone with me on that? It's a sure sign. Actually, you're not looking forward to anything in your day or your week, so you're just longing for that thing. Not all of these things are sin, but they are flashing lights on the dashboard of our lives that self-care is needed john aldridge so helpful in his book take your life back i'm taking 25 guys through it at the moment and he gives some practical self-care helps and the first is that he says practice benevolent detachment can we see the benevolent detachment in jesus he's just saying actually the crowds can wait let's have a slow cooked slow eating meal together my friends Let's do it in a beautiful place. Let's do it by boat. I love that. Absolutely love that. They're filling their tanks with beauty, with company, with good food. (laughs) Filling their tanks. And benevolent detachment is not saying to your churches or your friends or your responsibilities, I don't care. It's saying... I care, but if I continue caring, there will be no self to care. No self to deny. And it's so actually saying, I entrust this to you, Lord. These people are actually yours, they are not mine. It's saying no to over responsibility. One of the consistent, in terms of benevolent detachment, one of the consistent characteristics of pastors. That quit. 2022 was called the big quit in America. The big quit or the great resignation. Over 40% of American pastors, when asked, said they were dreaming of quitting. And 1,600 quit every month. And one of the consistent characteristics is that their devotional life made way for sermon prep sermon prep just overtook their devotional life seems good I'm reading the Bible praying about my message but there's no benevolent detachment there's no sense of God God you've actually got this message more than polishing it up another 10 minutes or 10 percent I need you Jesus I need the oxygen mask of your presence benevolent detachment second get outside he says get outside We live in a stunning continent. Would you agree? And some of us live in more beautiful places than others. I like my ocean more than yours. It's not showing off right now, but wait until the sun is shining in February, 75 degrees, the sun glistening off the water, dolphin frolicking in 10 yards of water. It's amazing. Ah, That's true. But actually, all of us can get outside, whether we urban, peri-urban, suburban, rural, we can get outside. You know, Sorry, most Americans will live 93% of their day inside. That's what they say. And there are very real connections to the quality of our soul, our mental health, and being outside. Nature is God's healing balm. Get outside. Take phone meetings while you walk the dog. Sit on your porch. Prepare in your backyard. It doesn't have to be splendid, but just seeing green and hearing birds is healing. And part of the beauty, I mean, many of us are bivocational, and I realize that. We've got a boss, etc. But actually, most of us, if we can think of our day, can push the 93% inside down to at least 80. Simple ways Take transitions, he says. The transitions of our day from meeting to meeting, from work to home, are actually absolutely key. The Benedictine monks called it practicing stazio. Bill has been trying to help me do this because I'm often running late, rushing to meetings. He says, Alan, if you could get to a meeting slowly and slowly, Five minutes early and stand at your post, or sit at your post prayerfully asking God for help. All my elders are going. Maybe in the new heavens and the new Earth, right? I get it. I get it. I'm working hard. And help me. I'm getting better, Joel. I am getting better. Come on, help me out. what's that? Don't make him lie," Rael says. But actually, practicing transitions trying to not rack them and stack him in terms of meetings actually will make us far more present, far more wise, far more peaceful and non-anxious presence in those meetings. One of the things that Bill said to me, man, I've got 10 minutes left. One of the, the things that, that Bill said to me was, he asked me about my sermon prep. And he's like, when do you start prepping for your next sermon? And I said, normally as I get home, from church, I sit with my lunch and I open the text to the next week if I'm preaching. I, and he was like, "I just say I, I love it because I, it's alive in me and and, and and I'm I'm revved." And and he was like, "Can I ask you on Sunday after you've preached to practice holy ferment?" I said, "Bill, what is that?" He was like, "Holy ferment is actually." this reverent sense that God is working with his word in his people and so don't leap back into sermon prep just go oh God I bless your word that's been preached whether I preached it or someone else I'm still an early sermon prepper but I, I now wait until Monday Sunday's holy ferment just going oh Lord let this word that I've preached actually work in me and I'm blessing you the work of your word in people I'm not going to be overly responsible. I'm not going to be a helicopter preacher. Transitions. Fourthly, invest in sacred friendship. We've heard this already from Sam. We all need a bill. Someone who listens with empathy. Not all of you need to pay, or can afford to pay, but you need a person That's sitting with you, that's not there to take from you, but to listen and empathize. Invest in that. Even if it means I've got a guy in our church, he's on our deacon team, and I take him out for breakfast once a month. And I don't ask him for advice, but he's just an encourager. And I pay for the breakfast, I don't make him pay for the breakfast. And I just pour out my soul, he's a good friend. And then he just always thinks, no matter where the church is at, he just always thinks it's absolutely fabulous. I I don't need to be surrounded by those people every day. That'll be crazy. But once a month, fantastic. 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 Not a guy who's trying to tweak. He's like, this is fantastic. Invest in those friendships. Okay, finally. You doing all right? Self-denial. Self-denial talked about self-care self-denial self-denial is a willingness to die for the sake of new life for the sake of of others because in some ways it's easy and noble to say oh yes yeah I just work way too hard I'm bad at bad at self-care bad at self-denial I mean bad at self-care and so you know I just need to have a bubble bath or take transitions but but to actually say no no my real problem is I've I've got really weak at self-denial. That cuts to the core of what it means to be a Christ follower. But I'm asking us that question. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself or herself, take up their cross and follow me. Think of the Apostle Paul's words. I beat my body and make it my slave that I might not fall short of what I preach self-denial. And we see this tension beautifully in Jesus' life in Mark 33 after saying to his disciples, come with me and rest a while. Come in a boat. Let's eat a leisurely meal. And he gets there And verse 33 says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the hour is late. Can you hear these guys just going, Enough already, Jesus. You promised us a weekend away of leisurely eating. And not only does he allow these people to invade their weekend away, he says to them, find them something to eat. And they're like, well, where are we gonna buy something to eat? He says, you give them something to eat. The cruciform life is powerfully on display here. Jesus is living out his message of dying to self that others might live. And again, this is not suck it up, buttercup stoicism. This is Jesus whose heart is moved with compassion for the flock that are like sheep without a shepherd. He is willing for his margins of rest and friendship He's willing to give out of lack. He wants to feed a crowd of 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He doesn't have enough, but he's willing to lean in. Why? Because he has compassion on them. And he knows he is the shepherd that will stop them from being harassed and helpless. What's fascinating is at the end of this famous miracle, feeding of 5,000, Verse 45, he says, And immediately, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Isn't that beautiful? Can't we see the sacrifice of Jesus saying, I'll close down the meeting. You guys, get out of Dodge. I haven't forgotten the weekend away. I haven't forgotten self-care. I haven't forgotten the boat. I haven't forgotten leisurely meals. Get out of Dodge beautiful and yet there's this massive miracle imagine if Jesus at that moment had just said sorry me and my disciples are having a weekend away we would not have the feeding of 5,000 how do we know if we are poor at self-denial because there is a costly call to be broken again like bread for the feeding of the multitudes We're poor at self-denial if we have an inflexible routine and unbendable boundaries that cannot be uninterrupted by people. We're poor at self-denial if we fall into self-pity and resentment if we're not thanked or affirmed. We poor at self-denial if when we get into conflict situations that are uncomfortable, we quickly use phrases like, I feel unsafe, I feel triggered, and we use them to escape. Not abusive situations, just uncomfortable ones. Now we know there are some abusive situations that we do need to get out of. But beloved, this is Jesus. <laughs> He could have so easily used religious terminology to get out of this. But actually it was, you give them something to eat. Poor at self-denial if we're motivated more by duty than compassion. If we only give out of our abundance, not of our lack. If we resent people arriving at our house unannounced. If we have an on-duty, off-duty mentality. Sometimes I see that. With pastors, if they're preaching, if they're hosting the meeting, worship leaders—they—they they on, they're on. But if we're not on, then we're just off. It's not the Jesus way, beloved. How finally do we grow in self-denial? Let's coach our families to be hospitable, both in planned and interruptible ways. Some of the best things that we've done, we haven't always done well with our kids, but we've coached them to be interruptible. To share their food if people arrived unannounced. It's been a beautiful thing. Give a trusted friend permission to call you out if you're becoming too self-absorbed or self-preserving. Not everyone should have permission to do that, but a trusted friend who actually does care for you. Give them permission. Be family to the lonely. As we talk about singles and sexuality, those of us who have families and are married, be family to the lonely. It's one of the richest things, seeing the lonely set in family. Serve in a ministry that's not your passion from time to time. I used to be a worship leader. I'm not good at leading worship anymore, but every now and again, I'll co-lead worship with my daughter or so. And it's just like, oh, this is really hard. I feel like a rusty pelican. But whatever that is. But actually, (laughs) it's good. It's good. It's good for me. It's humbling. At times, give up your day off. At times, not every week. Don't make it law. Remember the guys that made the Sabbath law? <laughs> Jesus was always messing with them. Finally, stay in contact with the global church and with churches of other cultures. One of the greatest gifts. Ronelle and I leave on a plane tomorrow to go to Thailand and Singapore for two weeks. And it's hard, but it is a gift. Because every time I visit those people, I think, I thought I was sacrificial. Whenever I think our church runs hard and I have a coffee with Vaughan and Mary, I was like, oh my gosh, we are soft. It's a gift to be in touch with churches of other nations and other cultures because we so easily measure ourselves by ourselves. But there are always people who out of love, not because they're trying to be heroes, but out of love for Jesus, are laying their lives down in more costly ways than us, and we need them because otherwise our pain threshold for loving Jesus will just get lower and lower. how do we do this? How do we do this? The only way we do this is through the power of the comforter. When I look at the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that filled him with love, with the Father's love at baptism, talk about self-care. He heard his Father say, you my dearly beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That same Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness the dove became the war bird, and there in uncomfortable places Jesus experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit I just want to say man we will never fully experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit if we embrace comfort it's actually as we're willing to be led to places of discomfort that we experience the beauty of the comforter And so, Lord, we've run out of time. But we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and heal our hearts and fill our hearts with the Father's love. Lord, we thank you that you are the physician of the soul and you want us to be healthy and you want us to be full of love and joy. But Holy Spirit, we give you fresh permission for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the nations, to lead us into uncomfortable places. And I pray for a fresh wave of Spirit-empowered self-denial that doesn't neglect self-care, but actually takes up our cross and follows Jesus, empowered by the Spirit and comforted by Him. Lord, we ask for wisdom to hold this tension. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.